We thank you for this day. We thank you for this hour of worship. Father God, as we proceed now into this service, anoint our ears that we might hear, anoint our pastor as he brings the message. May everything that we say, do, and think glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in Ecclesiastes this morning in our series, The Words of the Preacher. And we've already seen some important truths in this series, uh, highlighting passages from this book of Ecclesiastes. I believe God has some incredible things uh, for us to revisit as we continue. In week one, we saw that all is vanity. Uh, in week two, we saw... Last week, that God makes all things beautiful in His time. And now today, we're headed to Ecclesiastes 4, where we will discover that two are better than one. Two are better than one. I'd like to thank uh, everybody who had a part in surprising me and blessing me for my big over-the-hill birthday this past week. And you've all been so kind to me. I'm grateful for it. Uh, got back home Wednesday night after Bible study, and I was pretty freaked out because there was a big dude sitting in the middle of my front yard in a camping chair. Uh, there is a Dutch tradition called Abraham uh, and then Sarah, if you're a lady. And when you turn 50, uh, your friends surprise you by making a dummy of you with your clothes and put it in your front yard and then they usually run away, uh, so you don't know who did it. In this case, I have a pretty good idea who did it, because um, yeah, they left a sign, and it was, they had their signatures all over it. But thank you to the youth group for being so kind to me. Uh, and I, I'm grateful for all the blessings, and thank you so much to everybody. Uh, two weeks from tomorrow, Lord willing, I'm departing for India uh, where I get to be with our pastors at the Calvary Baptist Foundation for some special meetings. And almost all of these pastors live in poor villages. On average, uh, the pastors in the foundation make about $50 a month. And I know that many of you give to our special missions fund called Increasing India, and we're going to be taking support uh, to them from our fund and we'll also have a special Increasing India offering two weeks from today on July 31st. So I want you to be praying uh, about how God wants you to help these pastors uh, during an incredible time of need over in India. And many of them are just really trying to survive from week to week. And uh, so be praying about what God would have you to do for that coming up next week. Also, or two weeks from today. Also, don't forget next week I mentioned... Uh, we're going to have all those kid, kids' books out in the lobby, and uh, feel free to take them for uh, your kids and other kids and neighborhood kids and uh, grandkids and cousins and whoever. There's going to be a whole lot of them, and all the ones that we don't have uh, claimed will be donated, and uh, so help us with that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, today let's start in verse number 7. 
Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and breathe my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. That threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And let's look at the words of the preacher here this morning. Yeah, the preacher, otherwise known as King Solomon, hits upon another dilemma. What happens when you don't have anyone near you to share in victories and soothe in defeats? Uh, I read a story about a pastor who was just fed up with everything. Uh, but he didn't really want anybody to know. And, and so he claimed to be so sick that he couldn't go to church and deliver the sermon. And instead, he went down and played 18 holes of golf, uh, thinking that this would ease his discouragement pain just a little. Well, he got to the 12th hole, this beautiful par 3, 178 yards to the hole, and he pulled out his 9-iron, he teed it up, and his approach lined up almost exactly with the pen, and he watched as the ball uh, went up in the air, took this beautiful arc, and took two little bounces and dropped in the hole. A hole-in-one, his first ever. But then it hit him. He couldn't tell anyone because they all thought he was at home sick in bed. And what good was a hole-in-one if you couldn't tell your buddies about it, right? Such a dilemma. So Solomon's talking here about a similar circumstance. Uh, a person who doesn't have anybody to do life with him. And yeah, today we're looking at an important truth Two are better than one. And let's work our way through this passage now. In Ecclesiastes 4, uh, the notes are in your bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app. And we've got kids' bulletins out there this morning as well. Let's start with this topic as we begin. Lonely at the top. Lonely at the top. And if you read here in verse number 8, it says there's one alone and there's not a second. Okay, he's, he's all by himself. You know, in this world today, many people are so set on finding a worldly measure of success that in pursuit of it, they rob themselves of actually enjoying God's gifts to them. Uh, if you get to the top, but you don't bring anyone to the top with you, the level of satisfaction takes a big nosedive. Right? You might be a workaholic, or you may know a workaholic, and, and there's no end to all your labor. But in making work your highest priority, often you alienate the very people you, came, you claim to be working to please. Right? And that happens so often, and, and people invest so much in their career, and they lose their family. 
people invest so much in getting up another rung in the corporate ladder, and they burn all their friends, and they burn bridges, and they lose relationships. Uh, you might be greedy. Uh, by the way, greed is no respecter of persons. It can live in the mansion just as well as it lives in the trailer park. And greed is this inner urge that says, I owe me. Okay, I don't owe you, I owe me. No one else has given me the satisfaction I need. I'll have to do it for myself. Now, here's the thing about greed. Almost no one admits to being greedy. Right? It's not something that anybody, like people admit, they're like, yeah, yeah, I have a problem with pride, or I have a problem with lust, or I have a problem with this. Nobody walks up and says, you know what? I've got a big problem with greed. Okay? Very few people admit to being greedy. Here's what they say. I'm just careful with money. Right? Uh, I'm very frugal. I'm just trying to set us up for the future. You know, riches can't and won't satisfy. And there is no bank balance that will provide anyone with real satisfaction or with lasting relationships. And, and greed has a way of sucking your relationships dry because nobody really likes being around people who live to please themselves, right? Uh, it just drains people. Uh, when a relationship is all one-sided and it's about pleasing one person, nobody really likes to be in that relationship. Uh, one of my favorite books when I was a teenager was, was the classic Silas Marner by George, George Eliot. And in the beginning of the book, Silas loses everything he's lived for. Uh, he gets framed for theft. And his friendships are wiped out. His faith is basically gone. His fiance abandons him. And he moves from this city uh, out to the English countryside. Uh, and there he replaces people and human interaction with this insatiable thirst for money. He becomes a kind of a hermit, a miser. And he constantly works in his trade as a weaver. He isolates himself from society because he doesn't want to be hurt again. And a greed often shows up that way. You get hurt as a kid. You get hurt in your development. You don't want to be hurt again. And so you clutch everything for yourself. Uh, and then all his money is taken away. The thing that's most precious to him. He takes those gold pieces out every night and, and uh, counts them and shines them and places them back in. And his, his gold is all taken away. It's stolen by this rich brat named Dunstan Cass. In, a, in an utter despair, Silas uh, doesn't know what to do. And so that night, he finds his money gone. He leaves the front door open to the cold. It's New Year's Eve. He doesn't care whether he lives or dies. And uh, when he, all this is happening, he's sitting there just in despair. And he gets the surprise of his life. This tiny little toddler walks in the door. And he follows her footprints back to her mother, who is out in the snow, dying of a drug overdose. And Silas takes the little girl and calls her Epi, and he raises her as his own child. He discovers what's truly important, and it's not his gold. Uh, his life is made whole by a relationship. 
And later, even when he gets his gold back, it doesn't have the same meaning in his life that it had before. Uh, see, the gold lost its grip on Silas' heart. And it's a beautiful story. Uh, here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is telling us that without relationships, life is almost unbearable. Uh, without the friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, life will always seem empty, even if you have some earthly relationships. Uh, now, for the second part of the message, uh, I want to briefly jump away from Ecclesiastes and take you over to the Holy Land. And in the Holy Land, <clears throat> there are two major bodies of water. They're connected by the Jordan River. One is the Sea of Galilee up in the north. It's a beautiful lake, 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. Uh, Jesus grew up close to this lake. It was there that he first met James and John and Peter and Andrew. This lake is Israel's largest freshwater lake. It is absolutely picturesque, full of fish, surrounded by foliage. And uh, so that's the one body of water. The, the other body of water is called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 50 miles long and 11 miles wide. Its shoreline is 1,300 feet below sea level. Uh, and 7 million tons of water evaporate from the Dead Sea every single day. And so the salt content in the Dead Sea is 10 times higher than the salt content in the ocean. And so it clearly lives up to his name. You go look at the Dead Sea, there are no plants, no fish, no seaweed, not a living thing anywhere in or around the water. And when fish accidentally swim into the Dead Sea from one of the freshwater streams that feed the sea, they are quickly killed by the level of salt. And, and so both bodies of water are fed by the Jordan River. But here's the difference between the two. The Sea of Galilee takes water in, but it also gives water back out to the river. The water just passes through the Sea of Galilee, and it's full of life and beauty. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, takes water in, but never gives it back. It sustains no life. The Sea of Galilee is a conduit. The Dead Sea is a container. One's full of life, the other's full of death. And, and so the second part of our message is called the look at the Dead Sea. A look at the Dead Sea. And uh, here's what we're going to say about it. This is so important and so crucial to your life and uh, to what we're talking about here in Ecclesiastes. Bodies of water that have inlets but no outlets quickly become stagnant. Okay? And here's the deal. If you don't find someone to pour life into, you will endure a miserable existence on this earth. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We talked earlier about greed. There's only one cure for greed. It's generosity. Right? You, you got to be able to be generous to someone else. And if you feel greed trying to grab your heart, you have to decide on purpose to be generous. Uh, that's the only thing that will release the clutch of greed on a heart. Verse 8, 
Here at Ecclesiastes 4 describes a Dead Sea type of person, uh, a person who doesn't have anybody to bestow their labors on. They don't have any relationships where they can even be generous. So you know, the rest of the message describes a Sea of Galilee type person. And uh, so we're going to shift gears, and uh, we're going to go from the negative side of this, being uh, alone on purpose, to being a companion on purpose. And uh, everybody has this choice. We all can decide whether or not we're going to have friends. And uh, so let's talk about this third part, the advantages of companionship. The advantages of companionship. And uh, let's read again here in verse number nine. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, these verses reveal why relationships are crucial for humans to live with satisfaction, right? You all, we all need a supporter, an encourager, a partner, a defender. And without companions, we lack the mutual love and accountability that is necessary for Christian growth, in the New Testament, there are over 50 one another commands. Uh, love one another, encourage one another, uh, don't envy one another, uh, don't provoke one another to anger, uh, support one another. There's all sorts of them. And uh, perhaps you've noticed that to complete the one another commands of Christ, there must be another person present right? You can't do any of the one another's if you're all alone. You say, well, life has left me all alone. Well, that's why we're talking about this today, because sometimes circumstances do leave us alone, and we have to find a companion on purpose. Now, when you're part of a team and you win, the whole team feels the victory. Uh, that's what verse number nine is about. Two are better than one. Uh, you look at the Olympics, and even in the individual sports, uh, you see ice skaters, or see people who run, or you see people who throw the javelin. And you know, when they win the gold medal, you know who they always run to? Uh, even though they did it alone, they run to the people who have supported them in relationships. Their coaches, their family, their friends, and uh, they always run to those people. And it's always so touching. When you see somebody win a race, and then they climb up in the stands so they can hug one person. Like, well, what, what's the big deal? Why would you climb all the way up in the stands and risk injury to yourself to hug one person? Because two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. And, uh, you know, in your relationships, you know why some of them are, don't work as well? Because you've stopped cheering each other on. Right? Uh, people need to be cheered on. Uh, men, believe it or not, uh, one of their biggest needs is admiration. 
They need to be admired or honored. And if they feel like they're being dishonored or you don't admire what they're doing, then it, it wounds them. And sometimes they act tough about it, but they're wounded. And when they're wounded, they, they may have all sorts of different reactions. You know, ladies need to be adored. They need to feel security. And adoration is a big part of, of what we're talking about here, where two are better than one. And they need to have some type of reward for working together, right? And if you diminish each other in a relationship for, for what you're doing and how you're working together, then nobody feels good about that. Nobody wants to do anything, right? Uh, we have such a unique thing at our house that's been going on for the last the year and a half or so. Uh, I had COVID back in uh, November of 2020, and since then I've had distorted taste and smell. And uh, so meat, uh, taste and smells rotten to me. Eggs, coffee, beans, uh, onions, garlic, lots of other stuff. And, and so Amy, uh, I used to cook quite a bit, but Amy's been doing all the cooking. And anytime she cooks meat, oh, it's so gross to me. Uh, like, I'm, I'm for sure not going to eat it, but even the smell of it just in the house, it just makes me not feel good. And, and so she talked to me a couple weeks ago about, about it because uh, I, I didn't really catch what was going on. But uh, what was happening is every time she cooks, I like go down in the basement uh, or go outside or sit there and hold my nose. And she said, you know, that really wounds my spirit. I was like, well, I can't help it. You know, it stinks. <laughs> Probably wasn't the best choice of words, but um, she said, I work really hard to, to make a nice dinner for, for the family. And uh, here you are acting like you're dying every time I cook. Like, well, I can't. So, you know, I made excuses, but she was right. She was exactly right. Uh, I no longer compliment her cooking. You know why? I never eat it. Uh, I don't, it's, it's not because she doesn't know how to cook, it's because I can't eat what they're having. And, and so it has wounded the relationship, right? And so I've had to kind of take some ownership to say, whoa, I messed that up. So uh, now I walk by like, that looks really good. That looks really good. It smells horrible. And I'm not tasting it, but it looks really good. Um, but, you know, we have to encourage each other. Because if somebody's doing something all the time, and you critique or belittle what they're doing, how long are they going to keep doing it? Not very long, right? They're checking out. They're done. If, if somebody goes and helps in the garden all the time, and all you can do is say, oh, you missed a weed. Oh, you missed a bean. I mean, how long before they hand the bucket back to you and say, it's all yours, Buster? Right? You can do it from here on out. Because in the two are better than one relationship, there's got to be encouragement. Uh, when, when I played high school basketball, uh, I was a varsity player when I was a senior. There were 12 guys on our team. And the only time I ever got in the game is if we were up by 40 or down by 40. And we were never down by 40, but we were up by 40 a couple of times. And so I got in the game. And uh, we got to the year-end tournament where we went, we went from Oklahoma to Tennessee to be in this big tournament. 
And we didn't have any huge guys. We had our center was like 6'2 or 6'3. Um, and we played a team in the championship that had two guys that were six foot eight. And they're just like giants to us, especially to me. And um, so we're standing there, we're cheering, you know, we're, we're doing the team. And somehow got to the end of the game, we beat them by one point. And we just went crazy. And you know what, what happened at the end of that game uh, when we got back and we got everything situated back in our own gym, every guy who was on the team got a trophy. You know, even the guys who never played in the championship game got a trophy. Why did we get a trophy? Because you're on the team. We are the ones who challenge those guys every day in practice. We ran with them. We, we sweated with them. We did everything with them. And we're part of the team. And when you're part of a team... And you lose, you lift each other up. You encourage each other. Uh, when you're discouraged, being alone can throw you into an even deeper spiral downward. And if you fall in a hole, you need somebody near to help you get you out. Uh, there's a new rule in our house. When dad does anything on the back hill, there has to be somebody home in case he falls again. Uh, this sort of became a rule last year. Uh, I was cutting some stuff with the chainsaw, chainsaw, and uh, I slid about 15 feet down the hall with the chainsaw running, and then I dropped. And so I threw the chainsaw, and it came back and tried to land on me again. So that was fun. Uh, but Amy and the kids were, were so nice to me for Father's Day. I was in Congo. Uh, while I was in Congo, they, they found somebody to clear all the brush on my hill. They paid this guy. And when I got home, everything was completely knocked down. It was this great surprise. Uh, but then two weeks ago, I had to go down to make sure that all the stumps that had been cut weren't growing uh, elm trees back on them again. And uh, they were. And, and so I went down to spray them, and uh, I slid about 20 feet down the hill again. Somehow I landed in a sitting position on top of a boulder, and then it knocked me off again, and I slid about 20 feet more. And, and so now there is an official when dad goes on the hill rule. Okay? Somebody's got to be there watching him. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. They lift each other up. They warm each other. They defend one another. So I want to single out this phrase at the end of verse 12. Let's talk about a threefold chord. A threefold cord. You know, the more quality strands that you have on the rope, the longer it's going to last. And, and the more true friends that you have, the better support system you'll enjoy in life. You have to recognize that most people don't go through life with an abundance of true friends. Right? When you're young and somebody says, by the end of your life, you'll be able to count your true friends on one hand, right? And you laugh at them, you're like, there's no way. I've got all sorts of friends. Well, come back in about 50 years and tell us about it, okay? Uh, friends, unfortunately, come and go. People you thought were going to be your best friend for life, sometimes they come and go. Acquaintances come and go. They're, they're often fair-weather friends uh, who leave when the going gets tough. There are issue-oriented friends. 
who separate when the issue is no longer the priority. Uh, there are friends of friends, and sometimes those work, sometimes they don't. Isn't it curious that Solomon uses a specific number here? Right? He could have said a fourfold cord. He could have said a fivefold cord. He said a threefold cord. It's almost like he wants us to get a special meaning from this. Like maybe there's an example of a three-in-one relationship that is unbreakable. I'm sure you're thinking of the Trinity right now, right? One God, three special persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. This is called a triune relationship. Now, every single one of us was made under the potential form of body, soul, and spirit. <clears throat> but we don't mirror the Godhead until we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Before we're saved, we're missing a part. Our spirit is not at one with God. In fact, our spirit has never lived. It's never been born again. But after someone believes in Jesus for salvation, his spirit is born. His spirit is at one with God's spirit, and he becomes a legitimate threefold cord. And so there's that angle of this to apply. But there's something else uh, as well. The greatest, strongest relationships in your life will always be threefold because they will be the ones with Christ at the center. Uh, if you and another person invite Jesus to be in the middle of your relationship, the partnership cannot be broken. And you'll find Jesus at the center of all strong Christian marriages. You'll find Jesus at the center of all strong Christian friendships. Jesus at the center of strong Christian parenting. It's a threefold cord. And what a beautiful picture it is of God's everlasting love. But then we added verse 13 to the mix. And I don't know if you're going to like verse 13 as much. It's not as fun and pretty. Okay, as we get to the faith challenge, we're going to go to this last verse in the passage. Now, look what it says, verse 13. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Now, I'd like for us, for just a couple minutes, to apply this verse specifically to the verses above it. And the verses above we're talking about the strength of quality relationships, specifically the ones with the threefold cord. And now verse 13 hits us like a ton of bricks. You can either grow in the area of relationships or you refuse to grow in the area of relationships. And so here's the faith challenge. When you are alone, you can either throw an indefinite pity party or learn how to invest in the lives around you. Because two are better than one. Now, I've heard Amy talk to her kids scores of times when they're moping around because so-and-so doesn't like me anymore. Somebody said something rude. Somebody doesn't want to be my friend anymore. And she always quotes them this verse written by her buddy Solomon in Proverbs 18, 24. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And she always makes this point. <clears throat> Qu 
Quit waiting for people to treat you like you want to be treated and go treat other people like you want to be treated. That's the secret to finding real friendships. If you're waiting for people to show up and value you like you want to be valued, you're going to be a very lonely person, right? But if you go value other people like you want to be valued, you're going to find some really good friends. That is the secret to finding real friendships. Now, this verse puts it in a, a crazy perspective. A poor, wise child who will learn <clears throat> is better than an old, foolish king who refuses to change. He will go to his grave in stubbornness. He will only accept friendships on his terms. He's not going to invest in other people. Why? It all comes to down, down to this. For whatever reason, the old foolish king has made his life an all-about-me life. And he is in the verse 8 stage. He is lonely at the top, currently approaching relationships like the Dead Sea does. But a poor, wise child is willing to change things up because he knows that selfishness isn't getting it done. Not the old king. The old king's not willing to stoop. He's not willing to do the trivial tasks associated with authentic friendships. And so as we close out the message today, it's just a simple question, which one are you? Are you the poor, wise child who's still learning? Or are you the old, foolish king who has nothing left to learn? By the way, if you got nothing left to learn, you're in big trouble, okay? Because God wants us to learn something every single day of our lives until he calls us home. And this is challenging for our hearts, but it's so important that, that we understand that God really puts an emphasis on relationships. And you look throughout the scripture, relationships is a big deal to God, right? In the triune God, the threefold cord, that relationship is so important. Read the New Testament, how Jesus talks to his father. Read John 17. And then you see that Jesus says, Listen, the first, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later he tells the disciples, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. And then he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. And we see this incredible platinum rule that we are to treat other people like Jesus has treated us. And when we do that, I promise you that we find out that two is better than one, right? When we make it all about us, we don't ever get to the two is better than one because everybody says, he doesn't want a real friend, right? That person doesn't want a real friend. He just wants somebody to meet his needs, that's not what friendship is all about. Friendship is when we both give and take, and we both encourage, and we both bless. And I just hope today that every single one of us are willing to be like poor, wise children instead of like old, foolish kings, right? Now, I know you're going to be tempted this especially if you have a smart mouth like some of us do. 
you're going to be tempted to call someone an old foolish king or queen this week. Okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. That will not help the two is better than one. Right? Uh, make sure that you treat this in the right way. Even if you live with an old foolish king, don't tell him he's an old foolish king. Right? If you live with an old foolish queen, don't tell her. It's going to make it even worse. Treat others the way Jesus has treated you. That's the message. That's the lesson from Ecclesiastes. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, thank you that we could come this morning and get at your word once again and just be reminded of this valuable truth that you've given us, that two are better than one. And we thank you for the authentic relationships that you bless us with in this life. And I pray that you would help us to be willing to invest in relationships and not just receive. Help us to be Sea of Galilee friends and not Dead Sea friends. Guide us through this week. Help us to honor you in all we say and do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless